Good morning. Welcome to Evangel. I invite you to stand as we worship this morning. And good morning to all those who are watching from home. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Lord God, we offer up this time to you. Please have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
here today. I don't know about you, but uh, good to see you this morning. Good singing, good energy in the room. Why don't you just turn from where you are without uh, moving, but just wave, smile, say hello, and, uh, and uh, just make sure you greet each other before you're seated this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome you to Evangel this morning. For those of you are, who are in the building with us on this beautiful fall morning, and those of you who may be watching from elsewhere today, we want to welcome you as well. So we're just glad that you're all here. And uh, we just want to acknowledge a couple of things this morning quickly as, as announcements. Just want to say happy birthday to Edith Sauce. Happy birthday, Edith. And... Um, Glad we could celebrate this birthday with you this morning and be here and uh, be a part of that. Just want to remind you as well, uh, I know last week when I was away, uh, Pastor Scott updated you that Leslie Smith's son, Fraser, passed away, um, sadly. And uh, we are planning a funeral service, celebration of life service for Fraser this coming Saturday, October the 30th at 11 a.m. And it will be here at Evangel. And you are invited to come uh, because of 
COVID restrictions, of course, we have to do the pre-registration like we do with our Sunday services. So as of tomorrow, you'll be able to go onto our website and you will see there uh, the notice for that service and you can click and register there and it'll be open up until uh, probably at the end of day on Friday uh, if it doesn't fill or just before the service on Saturday if it's still, there's some, still some spaces, but uh, spaces uh, have been sent out to the family already and uh, close to 50% of the spaces are already taken. So just to let you know, uh, that. So just continue uh, to pray. I think, Leslie, I think you're here. There you are. Uh, we're praying for you, and I know this is a terribly difficult time, and uh, we're praying with you, and uh, we want to support you in any way we can. So just a reminder of that service, 11 a.m. Saturday, October the 30th, and you can find the registration on our church website, epcoakville.com, uh, starting tomorrow uh, in the morning to register there. Kids, if you are in JK up to grade 5, you are free to quietly slip out and uh, with your leaders this morning. And uh, I'm going to hand it back to you. Tyler, thank you for leading us this morning. I invite you to stand again as we sing.
Calvary has bought for me both now and Your plans are always good 
to move when you don't part the waters i wish i could walk through when you don't give the answers as i cry out to you i will trust i will trust i will trust in you when you don't move the mountains i needed you to move when you don't part the waters i wish i could walk for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading today is found in Numbers chapter 11, and we're just going to read verses 4 to 6. It says, Some troublemakers among them wanted better food, and soon all the Israelites began complaining. They said, We want meat. We remember the fish we ate for free in Egypt. We also had cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. And now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. You may be seated. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Last week, Jennifer and I took the week off, not this week leading up to today, but the week before. We took the week off, and uh, we went to Ottawa. And one of the anticipated highlights of our trip was watching the Toronto Maple Leafs play the Ottawa Senators in Ottawa, where, of course, tickets are much cheaper. You don't have to auction off your firstborn child to, to get in, and they're much easier to come by. So that was sort of the highlight of what and the catalyst for making this trip happen. Now, the game was disappointing because even though we showed up, the Toronto Maple Leafs clearly didn't, and, and they lost. But the real frustration came after the game when we went to the parking lot to head home. Because, you see, 15,000 other people were trying to leave the parking area at the same time. It just was a marvel to me that someone sat around a table at one point in history and thought that this whole arrangement was a good idea. And so there we were, stuck on the parking lot. The game was over. We were all tired. We're looking forward to a good night's sleep, but we're caught in traffic on a parking lot going nowhere. Now, there were lots of opinions being voiced about what action should be taken within our vehicle, what the car ahead of us should be doing, what the car behind us shouldn't be doing. And while complaining was just starting to rise, the truth is we were just going to be there for a while, so we just needed to accept the fact that this is where we were, this is what was happening, and to make the most of it. Complaining wasn't helpful 
at all. At all. Now, after about 30 minutes, the opportunity came for us to exit the parking lot, and we all headed for home. Now, I think it would be fair to say that most of us do not like being made to wait. We don't like to wait. We want to go from where we are to where we want to be or where we need to be without any delay and any hindrance whatsoever. But the truth is, rarely in life can we move from where we are to where we're going without time spent in between, that transitional time. And so this morning we're launching a new sermon series which we've entitled, In the Meantime, Navigating Difficult Transitions. Now, to be honest, this series is somewhat of a spin-off, if you will, of the last series we did, specifically the third sermon in that series where we talked about, specifically about transitions in that sermon. When we find ourselves between where we have been and where we're going, between something ending and something new beginning, between God making a promise and God fulfilling that promise. And we talked about that on that day. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to explore that a little bit more. I believe that there are realities, there are attitudes, there are emotions that we experience during life's difficult transitions that can delay us, in fact, even keep us from experiencing what God wants to accomplish in us. And so it's important to identify these realities, these attitudes, these emotions, so we can successfully navigate our way through them without missing out on what it is God intends for us. I believe that the most insightful transition found in Scripture takes place during the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land. The realities, the attitudes, the emotions that we witness as we read their story highlight for us some of the pitfalls that we need to avoid as God is leading our lives. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to identify some of these pitfalls. And today we're going to be considering the pitfall of complaining. Specifically, the relationship between complaining and trust in God. I hope that's okay, that you're not going to complain that we're going to do that. Sounds good? So what we're going to be reminded of today is this. We're going to be reminded that, that God is at work in our lives during difficult transitions, and his purpose is to increase our trust in him. So for a few moments, let's look at the scripture and the context of that scripture that we read a few moments ago. We're going to start with the backstory. And so in Genesis, we read about God calling a man named Abraham to leave his homeland at a very, uh, you know, very late in life and to go a land where, to a land where he wasn't familiar and that God would create a nation through his descendants. And not only a nation, but a nation through which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so, as we see further into the story, God used Joseph, one of the Abraham's descendants, to bring the descendants of Abraham to Egypt for the purpose of protecting them from a famine. But for 430 years, the descendants of Abraham were slaves in Egypt. They're being treated cruelly, and they cried out to God, to the God of Abraham, to rescue them out of the cruelty and the slavery that they were experiencing. We're told that God heard their cries, and through supernatural intervention and through the leadership of this person named Moses, God began the journey of leading the Israelites out of Egypt to the land promised to Abraham. The Hebrews were leaving the land of cruel slavery and heading to this promised land, a land that Scripture refers to as a land that was flowing with milk and honey. A very significant uh, contrast in the two 
places. And so they found themselves in transition. They found themselves between where they had been, Egypt and slavery, and where they were going, the promised land that flowed with milk and honey. Between something ending and something new beginning. Between God making a promise and God fulfilling that promise in the future. Now the transitional space for them was a literal wilderness. It was a desert. It was a place with limited food and water. And about 2 million people, when you include children and spouses, plus their livestock, were making their way through this transition of the wilderness. This transitional space in the wilderness was an important part of the journey to the promise. It was here in this transitional space, in the wilderness, that they were going to learn what it meant to be the people of God. It was here in this in-between space that they were going to learn what it meant to trust God. God was taking them somewhere important. God was with them on that journey and visibly reminded them that he was with them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was leading them since they didn't know how to get to where they needed to go. Yet the journey of learning to trust God in this transitional space in the wilderness would prove to be a very difficult journey, a very difficult transition. So there's the backstory. Well, then we see the backlash. It didn't take long into the journey before the Israelites were disappointed with God, and they were disappointed with God's leader, Moses, and they began to express their disappointment with God and with his leadership by means of complaining. Now, the first complaints centered around water. They were thirsty, but the only water they could find was bitter. And so they complained to Moses. Moses prayed. God responded. God asked Moses to throw a stick into the water. God is showing them that this is miraculous, that he's taking care of them. And so at that moment, when the stick hit the water, the water became sweet, it says in Scripture, and the people could drink it. And then God led them to a place called Elam, which, where there were springs of water and palm trees for shade. So this one ended well. But soon after, the, bro- the food that they had brought out of Egypt with them was gone. And now they're hungry. But there's a problem. They're here in the middle of the wilderness, and there is a very, very limited supply of food. Certainly nothing that could feed a crowd this large. So very quickly, they began to complain. And once again, they expressed their regret that they had ever left Egypt in the first place. They said, we wish we had died in Egypt. That would have been a better fate for us. At least there, we had pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted, and you you know, but you brought us here to starve us to death. And so what did Moses do? He prayed to God, and God responded by providing food. Bread from heaven, manna. We're told when the dew settled at night, the manna covered the ground. In the morning, the people went out and they collected it. We're told it would be a daily provision. They were to collect only enough for each day. This was a day, you know, our daily bread. They could only collect enough for the day with the exception that on the sixth day they could collect twice as much because God said, I don't want you collecting it on the Sabbath. I want the Sabbath to be a day of rest. Now, when Scripture describes this manna, it says it was like coriander seed and looked like resin. And it says they ground it up and they made cakes and then they made cupcakes And then they made mini cupcakes, which, just for the record, there is no such thing. A cupcake is a mini cake, and whoever invented the mini cupcake, that was just wrong. That was just wrong. You you just need to know that. And it says that it tasted like something made with olive oil. So manna was great. They were excited. They're gathering it. They're eating it. It's, It's a great provision. They were excited until they got sick of eating the same thing 
every single day. And what did they do? They complained. And this time, their complaint was, we want meat. We want meat. So once again, they began to recall the food they ate in Egypt. The fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. They said, now all we see is this manna. We're sick of it. We're sick of eating it. It's, it's bland. It's boring. It's monotonous. We're, we're tired of the same thing over and over and over. We want meat. And so Moses, he prayed. And God responded. And God, we're told, caused the wind to blow that drove the quail in from the sea and brought them down to ground level and the people could gather them easily. And so now they had meat to eat. Complaining was a constant attitude and pitfall of the Israelites while in transition between where they had been and where they were going, between something ending and something new starting, between God making a promise and God fulfilling that promise, most of what came from their lips was complaining. Complaining because they were disappointed with God. There are a couple of observations that I would like to draw from our scripture today regarding the relationship between complaining and trust, because this, these stories are really about trust. And so the first one I want us to, to look at is complaining and delay, the relationship between complaining and delay. When you read these accounts of the Israelites, Israelites complaining, you'll see a pattern emerge. The people have a need. They're unable to meet that need themselves, they complain to their leader because their need has not been met. Moses prayed, and God met the need without delay. That's the pattern we see in all of these stories. They were thirsty. The only available water was bitter. They complained. Moses prayed. The water was sweet. There was no water. Moses hit a rock, and upon God's you know, direction, water flows from the rock without delay. The food ran out. They're hungry. There's no food source available. They complain. God provides. They got tired of eating manna day after day when they were craving meat. They complained. Moses prayed. God responded without delay. Now, when you look at this pattern, when you look at it up close, at first glance, these scriptures read like the story of a spoiled toddler who wants something they can't have, and they throw a temper tantrum to get what they want, and the doting parent steps up and gives them what they want to make them happy without delay. That's what this reads like, right? And so for those of us who have raised our children, I mean, we fell into that trap at times. We tried not to, right? But we did at times, and now we watch other people raising their kids, and we're like, no, 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 don't, don't give in. No, make their lives miserable. That's your goal as a parent. Make your children miserable. No, don't give in. And that's what it seems like that's happening here. These spoiled, rotten toddlers are complaining all the time, throwing these temper tantrums, and God is just, you know, doing what they're asking. But if you look closely, that's not what's happening here. God's desire is for the Israelites to learn to trust him, to provide for them, to take care of them, to make them the people they need to be. And so God first allowed their situation to intensify to the point that they realized that they were powerless to do this on their own. They were powerless to do it on their own. They needed him. This was a relationship. They needed God. They couldn't do this on their own. And then once they realized that, God intervened and provided for them, teaching them the importance of trusting. Now, if you look into the details of the stories, there are often times that they are punished for their complaining, and I'm not really going into that much today. They had reached a point 
where they said, we're sick of this. They're struggling. They're doing without. They're sick of the same realities repeating over and over and over in their lives. And God delayed his intervention long enough in each situation to help them learn to rely on him. Now, I'm sure that many of us have experienced moments when we have made, uh, we have said that sentence. I am so sick of this. Anyone else other than me ever say that? I am so sick of this. I'm fed up. Yeah, four of us. Four truth tellers in this room. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of being sick. I'm sick of looking for a job. I'm sick of all the problems that I'm constantly facing in my family. I'm sick of trying to make ends meet. I'm sick of being alone. I'm sick of COVID. Certainly you've all said that at some point, right? Now that I've jogged your memory, you all want to put your hand up. We feel that we are between where we have been and where we're going long enough. That we are between, you know, something ending and something starting long enough. Between God making a promise and God fulfilling that promise long enough. Enough, God. Enough. I'm sick of this. And we feel stuck. We have had Enough. Now, we learn from this account that God is with us in these difficult transitions of our lives. That God does provide for us, but that the timing of his provision is tied to his overall desire that we can rely on him, that we can learn what it means to really trust him. And so when it came to the Israelites... God was interested in more than just providing water and manna and quail. It was, it was bigger than that. God was looking at the bigger picture of what he was trying to accomplish in their lives. He's creating a people, a nation, a future of, of individuals who would learn to trust him. Trust him. And so when it comes to us, God is interested in more than just providing for us what it is that we're asking for or what it is that we're complaining about. He's looking at the bigger picture of our lives too, just like he was with them. And his ultimate desire is to help us to learn what it means to put our trust in him. And so there are times that God strategically delays his response so we can learn the lesson that we can't do what needs to happen in our own strength. We need to learn to be people who trust in God. He allows us to experience a need. He allows us the opportunity to process the truth that we're unable to do it on our own with the ultimate goal of helping us to become who we need to become, a child of God whose trust is in we may complain about the delay, but God uses the delay intentionally to accomplish his work in us. All that complaining accomplishes is prolonging often the delay. Secondly, complaining and comparison. When the Israelites faced frustration and bitterness because they were disappointed. They were clearly disappointed that God was not meeting their needs in the present. They defaulted to complaining by comparing their present hardship, their present reality, with their past. They compared the struggle of eating the same food over and over and over to their lives back in Egypt when there were, you know, pots of meat that were available for them to eat. That the fish they caught were for free and they could catch them and eat them with cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. There's no question that they exaggerated how good their past lives were without God back in Egypt. There's no question. I mean, they're, they're, they're not sitting there recalling the beatings the hard labor, 
the less than humane treatment, the bondage that they and their children endured, the hopelessness of their situation, the despair they found themselves in, those moments of crying out to God in the night, this God of Abraham that they had been told about, that they didn't know, crying out for help. They, they didn't compare it to, to, you know, they weren't thinking about those things in their past. They were just thinking about the meat and the fish and the vegetables. Instead of choosing to trust God for what they hadn't experienced yet, they wanted to go back to what they had experienced before because it was easier to compare what was lost than it was to trust God for what was yet to come. Now, interestingly, our Scripture makes it clear that their complaining, although directed at Moses and Aaron, was not about Moses and Aaron at all. And this is an interesting principle, and I'll just kind of diverge here for a moment. There are times in my years of teaching students, I, I taught them the principle in leadership that personal attack, don't take personal attack personally. And they'd look at me like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I tell them, it doesn't matter who will be in the role you're in, they will be the subject of the same criticism and negativity and problem as you. It's not about you. It's, it's bigger than that. And that's what, that's what God is saying here. They're complaining against Moses and Aaron, but it's not about Moses and Aaron at all. God said that their complaining was actually them, hear this, rejecting him. He said, they're rejecting me. God had miraculously led them out of slavery in Egypt. God had protected them from Pharaoh's army. God had led them during the day with the cloud and the fire at night God had turned bitter water to sweet. God had caused water to gush from the rock. God had covered the ground with manna for them to eat every day. God had given them every reason to trust him. And instead of comparing their present challenges to God's past faithfulness and leaning into trust, they lost sight of all that God had done. And in essence, what they were saying is this. When they're talking about all that meat and fish and vegetables, they're basically saying, you know what, God? We were better off without you. We were better off without you. Life was a lot better before we started following you than it is right now. During difficult transitions, when we find ourselves, again, between where we have been and where we are going, between something ending and something beginning, between God making a promise and God fulfilling that promise, our tendency is to become disappointed with God and fall into the pitfall of complaining because we're not getting there efficiently and painlessly enough. And sometimes we too, like the Israelites, compare in our complaining. We compare our present realities to the time even before we decided to put our trust in God, just like the Israelites did. We forget what life was like back then before we gave our lives to him. And sometimes we can look back and make the past seem so much better than it was. Sometimes we compare our present realities to what we expected our lives to be like, how we expected God to act. And so when we compare where we are to where we thought we are, when we compare what is compared to what we had hoped, and then we begin to wonder if it really makes any difference whether we put our trust in God or not, because this is not what we expected. Now, sometimes we look around us and compare our lives to people whose trust is not in God. And they appear to have the prosperity. They seem happy. They have strong families. They have strong marriages. They're healthy. They don't have health issues and, and diseases. And sometimes we look at these unbelieving people, people who may not even believe there is a God, and we wonder, we can't help but wonder why things seem to go so well for those 
whose trust is not in God, while we, who put our trust in God, are left to struggle. Now, Scripture addresses that too, right? Why do the wicked prosper, right? I mean, don't tell me that's never crossed your mind. (laughs) I'm not going to look for a show of hands. I'm not going to give you another opportunity to resist In these moments when we are comparing to whether it's our lives before coming to Christ or our lives compared to what we expected since coming to Christ or what seems to be happening in the lives of people who don't even know Christ, in these moments, we need to be very careful that we are not like the Israelites and falling into that pitfall that we start to wonder or even suggest by our words that somehow we're better off without God. That serving God is of little benefit since we're suffering so much. When we're navigating difficult transitions, it's important to stay focused on trusting God. Like the Israelites, present difficulties can cause us to lose sight of how God has miraculously led our lives to this point. We can lose sight of all that God has done for us. We can lose sight of what God is currently doing for us, things that God is doing that we can't even see. And we focus instead on our immediate needs and our immediate circumstances and our frustrations because we haven't really learned to trust him. Folks, we need to stop comparing our present struggles with distorted memories of the past. We need to stop comparing our present struggles with, with, with you know, what we had hoped our lives would be. We need to stop comparing our, our lives to what you know, we think we see in the lives of others because all that does is keep us from learning to lean into and trust in God. And so instead, we need to be reminded that God has done so much for us. As I was thinking about this week, you know, and, and, and I don't know what you think, you know, you probably never think about, you know, that when pastor is doing a sermon, like, does, does anything in there ever, like, resonate with him, or is he just kind of talking to us? <laughs> I want to tell you, this, this whole thing hit me like, like a load of bricks this week as I'm walking this through and, and just feeling convicted in so many different areas. And I began to think about my own heritage and my, my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather and their faith in God and the stories passed down through the generations of God's faithfulness and goodness. And, and it wasn't all tied to prosperity and material blessing because if it was, we'd have no stories to tell. But it was the goodness of God and and, and God's miraculous intervention in moments and and God is so faithful. and, And I think there are times where we need to be reminded of that. That God has been faithful to us and to our families. And and some of us have that more than others because some of us have just come into faith and our generations before us weren't people of faith. But for those of us who've had that, We've seen God work in our lives. And for those of us who we may be the first generation, we still have seen God do great things. And it's important for us to remember those things. Folks, God's faithfulness in our lives in the past serves as a reminder to us that he will be faithful to us in the present and in the future. And so whether we have learned that through our own lives or that's the legacy that has been passed down to us from generations, we should not squander that truth in our lives by trying to live our lives on our own and not putting our trust in God, by comparing and complaining rather than leaning in because that is a terrible pitfall to find yourself in. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. Folks, most of us want to go from where we are to where we want and need to be without any delay, without any hindrances, without any inconvenience. But the truth is, rarely in this life can we move from where we are to where we're going without time, necessary time, important time spent in between. And so we need to be reminded today 
that God is already at work in our lives during these difficult transitions. And his purpose is to increase our trust in him. Would you stand with us this morning? Tyler is going to lead us, and then we're going to pray. We have a number of needs to pray for this morning. Tyler, would you lead us? I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. see.